Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. Today they're going out with, I can't remember who, with Kena, with Miss Kena. Philippians chapter 4 is page number 982 in your pew Bibles. And the reason my, why my, uh, the microphone didn't work earlier is because it was like this. It doesn't work, doesn't work very well when it's down there. It's supposed to be right here. So that, that explains it. Another um, mistake. <laughs> Could be a lot worse. I'm preaching a mini-series right now on the four characteristics or virtues, attributes that are represented in the Advent candles, hope, uh, love, joy, and peace. And so today we're looking at peace. And I picked Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, uh, simply because it's one of these sort of classic texts. I'm not saying it's the best text. Um, that helps us understand a little bit about peace. But I think it is a, a classic text that speaks to this topic. And so we'll read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the... Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, would you please open our eyes now and enable us to behold wonderful things from this, your word. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> One of the... Um, podcasts that I listen to, not all the time, but fairly regularly, uh, has as its sort of subtitle, For Those Seeking Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. We certainly do live in an anxious age, don't we? We're a people who have and live with much stress, much anxiety. And, you know, you have to ask the question, how can you not? When we look at the news, when we see what's going on in the world, it is scary. It's anxiety-producing. Uh, nearly every news report you see is going to tell you uh, something about how the government is getting ready to deny you your rights. Or a ser serial killer is going to find you and take your life. Or a politician who hates your politics is about to win an election and oppress you. Or you're going to see a new reality TV show and... Of course, it'll be graphic uh, in nature, graphic immorality that will just reveal the trajectory uh, of a nation without any morals or character or principles. And, of course, we all add to it because we keep reading that stuff. We keep looking at it. 
We just add on. It's like we're gluttons for punishment. It's like we enjoy being anxious and we want to add reasons for our anxiety. Not only that, but we have social media addiction where we just look at Instagram all day long every day and we're just constantly comparing ourselves to, to everyone else and, and then we don't feel half as interesting, half as popular, half as good looking as everybody else. It, it's like we're alcoholics who can't go 24 hours without a drink. We can't stay away from peace-robbing news, peace-robbing social media. And of course, no doubt, many of us even in this sanctuary, are are uh, ha- are taking anti-anxiety uh, drugs. The the numbers, the the percentage of the folks who are taking them is staggering. And 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 I'm not saying that you're in sin to do that. I'm just saying we are an anxious people. Indeed, we are, like that podcast says, we are seeking hope, resolute hope. We're seeking peace in an anxious age. So let me try to work through this idea of peace, doing like I've done with. I think all the other sermons in this little mini-series trying to answer three questions. First of all, what is peace? What is peace? And the word used here in verse 7 and verse 9 in this passage, it gives us the idea of composure or tranquility. It's, it's a frame of heart and a frame of mind that is, is solid and is stable and is consistent. I was talking briefly about this with Hunter this week. It's just one of the, the joys of working here. We have lots of conversation in the hallways and so forth. And, and he gave what I thought was a, a good uh, picture of, of this. Like a, uh, peace is like a pond without the ripples. The kind of thing, if you're a skier, you like to see on a big lake, you know, early in the morning. Now, particularly the piece that is spoken of here is a piece when circumstances could lead to anxiety. In other words, true peace is that calm, that tranquility, no matter what. I mean, this, let me give you an example. It's, it's a shallow example, but I think it sort of starts to get a little bit into the idea of what's spoken of here. So say your friend... Um, uh, records the football game because he's not able to watch it live. He, he's got to attend some event, so he can't watch the football game. But you do watch it live. You know how it ends. Your team wins. Um, but they, of course, are playing badly. They're losing um, before they come back. And so he doesn't know how it ends. And so while he's watching, he's fretting. He's complaining about the calls. He's, he's in a bad mood. And if you were to watch it with your friend, you'd give away what happens. Because you're just kicked back with your feet up, you know, with your chips and French onion dip. But your friend, he's all nervous. He's, he doesn't have that trans- tranquility or that composure because he doesn't know what's going to happen. But you do. You know what's going to happen. You know what's coming. You know how it ends. Which is why you have composure in the midst of difficult Circumstances Again, that's very shallow in comparison to what we're talking about here. But it gets a little bit at the idea, at least, knowing what's coming despite the unfavorable circumstances. Again, biblical peace is much more than that, but it's similar. It's composure in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. One commentary defines it as peace is what results from confidence and trust in God's wise control over your life. Confidence 
and trust in God's wise control over your life. Now, this piece that I'm sort of talking about now is really more internal than than anything else, but there are certainly you know, different types of peace. I mean, there's spiritual peace where you're right with God, and then there is this sort of internal peace that really I'm more talking about today, which is really an outgrowth or a fruit of being in a right relationship with God. And then, of course, there's relational peace, which is where you would have harmony, unity, and relationships. God offers all types of peace. How do you know if you're lacking peace? Well, I mean, you know, we're all different, and so there are different, be different manifestations of lacking peace in, in us. Anxiety, though, will be certainly be one. Worry, biting your fingernails, ulcers. I remember a number of years ago when I started waking up in the middle of the night with this pain, you know, right here. <laughs> and I had in my church at the time uh, a guy who was a pharmaceutical rep, and he sold either Prilosec or one of these drugs that's supposed to fix that kind of stuff. I didn't really know that at the time, but I was just talking with him about it, and he's telling me, man, you need, to, you need to try this. And I started using it, and it worked great. It was wonderful. <laughs> but his words to me were kind of like a punch in the gut because <laughs> they were true. He said, you know, you need to work on this worry. <laughs> you need to work on this anxiety. You need to get some peace and develop and grow peace in your life. Peace is what results from confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. And anxiety is really just a lack of confidence in God's control over our lives. I do think there's such a thing as counterfeit peace, where you, you appear uh, above the fray, you come across as unflappable, a lot of times it's just plain cynicism, but it's sort of a counterfeit piece, which leads to the question, well, how do you know if what I'm displaying or what I see in someone else is a counterfeit or not? Well, true peace is a fruit, is, is, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what you notice in Galatians chapter 5, where we have uh, the fruit of the Spirit noted there, is that it's... There in Galatians chapter 5, it's not fruits, it's fruit. And what that teaches us, when we see that list of things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, what that means is that if the Holy Spirit is active in your life, then all of those characteristics are going to be active in your life to some degree. None of them ever perfectly on this side of heaven, of course. But all of them will be there at least in seed form, hopefully in maturing form. But in other words, you'll not only be um, at peace, if, if, the, if it's a true peace and not a counterfeit peace, then not only will you be displaying peace, but you'll be joyful. You'll be kind. You'll be practicing self-control. You'll be patient. You'll be loving. It's a counterfeit peace or just a manufactured peace or just something that's just a part of your DNA or something, you know, the way it's, it's just a part of your personality. Um, when it's that counterfeit piece, then those other 
pieces of fruit of the Holy Spirit are going to be absent or they're just going to be very minor or just occasional things. Because the fruit of the Spirit, is, it's like grapes. It grows in bunches. And so that's how we can look at our life to see, is this just a counterfeit piece? It really is just kind of the way that I am by nature? Or whether it's really a fruit of the Spirit? Anyway, that's a little bit about what peace is. Question number two, what undercuts peace? Or what robs us of peace? And I'll give you two things. Number one, expectations. Expectations oftentimes rob us, steal our peace. Expectations in many ways are, are everything. Our expectations affect us significantly. Think about a couple of people driving in Atlanta during rush hour traffic. And most of us here, we're, we live in Birmingham, and so if you're going through Atlanta, one of the questions we ask is, all right, how can I miss rush hour in Atlanta? You need to go at this time and not these other times and so forth. Um, but say you got a couple of guys who are driving in Atlanta during rush hour. One guy's from New York City. He thinks of Atlanta as being like Mayberry, you know, just sort of a you know one stoplight town, a little bitty country town down there in the south. He's from New York City. It's like Mayberry. The other guy lived in Atlanta for many years, grew up there, worked there, and, and has moved away. But they're both back in town, or he's back in town. The other one's in town. And it takes them both, typical Atlanta traffic, an hour and a half to go eight miles. And so what happens there is the New York guy is furious and he's acting like a typical New Yorker. He's honking, he's frustrated, he's speeding up and then slamming on his brakes, moving in and out of lanes, blood pressure going through the roof. The guy who grew up in that, he's thinking this is, this is no problem. You know, he's listening to his radio or his podcast. He's calling his college roommate and catching up. He's calling his wife, you know, and so forth. Why? What's the difference? Expectations. The one guy knows that's what you experience when you go through Atlanta. So, you know, pack a lunch. You're going to be in traffic for a while. The, the, the next guy's furious and he's honking and he's going crazy. It all it depends on what you expect. And expectations often rob us Christians of peace because maybe we expect the Christian life to be easier than it is. Or maybe we expect not to be continuing to struggle with sin like we do. Or we expect life in the church, relationships with other Christians to be just harmonious and full of, of unity. But what we find are, are traffic jams, in a sense, in our hearts. We can have peace, though, if we have right expectations. And the reality is the Christian life is not easy. We still struggle with sin. We don't experience total harmony and unity in our relationships. And we need to remember that we have enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we know these sorts of things, we're able to have some peace despite the attacks from these sources. Many times we just don't have peace because we don't expect these sorts of attacks. We don't expect the Christian life to be this way. Again, expectations affect everything. So if I walk you into the motel room at, or the hotel room, I don't know what's the difference between a hotel and motel. Anyway, I'll walk you into a room at the Motel 6 or Hotel 6, whatever it's called, and I tell you it's the honeymoon suite, you're going to think, man, what a dump. But if I walk you in and, and tell you that it's a jail cell, you're going to think, wow, that's pretty nice. 
Expectations. Expectations affect everything. And then the second thing that undercuts our peace, legalism. Legalism. And legalism is when you base your standing before God on your performance. Now some of you here today are still sort of new to Christianity and, and some of this is kind of new to you and so you're thinking, well, wait, what? I, I thought that that's the way it works, you know. I thought you have to attain a certain level of goodness, righteousness, obedience, and then as a result, if you've, if you've met the standard, as a result, then God... Uh, saves you. He, he, he redeems you. He gives you Himself. He gives you heaven as your reward. It's sort of like He's a heavenly judge and your life is on trial. But you, you need to realize, and I'm reminding you today, your performance will never be good enough. We're made right with God by faith alone. Grace alone. Christ alone. Not our work. Salvation is a gift. There are no heavenly scales, <clears throat> no heavenly scales that God is looking at to determine your eligibility for heaven. If you live that way, guess what? You'll never have peace because you'll always be wondering, have I done enough? And some of you may not be new to Christianity, but this mindset still sort of slips in there. You have this underlying belief that God will be happy with me. You know, if I read my Bible this much or pray this much or give to the money to the church this much or, or don't you know, do this too much or don't cuss too much or that or whatever. And you may know intellectually that you're made right with God by faith and not through your obedience and righteousness and goodness and works. But you think you have to maintain that relationship through your right standing uh, or you have to maintain that right standing by your works. And again, same problem, no peace. Wondering if you're good with the Lord. No one, no one will ever have peace with God when they base their standing before God on their works, on their performance. So expectations undercut peace. Legalism also undercuts peace. Finally then, number three, how do we cultivate peace? How do we cultivate it? And I'll give you two answers. One is by talking to God. Or prayer is also what we call that. Talking to the Lord. Giving thanks, particularly in our prayers. Which is what you see in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this verse teaches us to thank God ahead of time for how He will answer the prayers. And you don't know how God is going to answer those prayers. I don't know how the Lord is going to answer those prayers. But we thank God ahead of time. And when we do that, we're essentially saying, Lord, whatever you do in response to this request is good. And that sort of praying produces peace. One man was asked, What do you gain by praying to God? And the man replied, Very little. However, let me tell you what I lose. I lose anger. I lose 
impatience. I lose insecurity. I lose fear. I lose ego. That's what happens when we pray with thanksgiving. We cultivate peace by giving thanks to God in prayer. And then second, not only by talking to the Lord, but by talking to ourselves. Verse 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We're to think about these things. But what are thoughts? Often they are things you're saying in your head. Which is why talking to yourself is so crucial to peace. To having peace. To obtaining peace. Who talks to you the most? You do. You talk to yourself the most. You're the one, uh, your voice is the one that enters your head and speaks to you more than any other. And what does it often tell you? You're a loser. It often tells you you're never going to be good enough. It often tells you that you're not pretty enough. You're, you're never going to be accepted. You're never going to reach your goals. You're a failure. Nobody likes you. You're a fake. It's all a hoax. These are the sorts of thoughts that fill our minds and take away our peace. They disturb our composure, our tranquility. <clears throat> I learned something new this week. Um, the Greek word for devil is diabolos. Now, I didn't I, I did know that, so that wasn't the thing, thing that I knew learned that was new. But what I didn't know was that this particular Greek word, diabolos, is, is translated differently in a couple of places. One of those places is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. And in this passage of Scripture, it's where we learn that not only must church officers be men of character, but their wives must also be women of character. And this is what we read. Uh, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And guess what the Greek word for uh, slanderers there, saying that they can't be slanderers, guess what the Greek word is there? Diabolos. The word translated devil is also translated slanderer. And it's translated in some of the other translations, different words. Uh, one of them is malicious gossips. Why? Because the devil is a slanderer. The devil is your accuser. The devil is the one who's adding, piling on to those thoughts that you have. Yeah, that's right. You are a loser. You're not pretty enough. You'll never be accepted. You're not good enough. You're a failure. The devil's a slanderer. You, you really just can't separate the two. The, the, the diabolos there. That's why it's translated both ways. And the, the devil, he slanders us all unceasingly. And we listen to that. And those thoughts take away our peace. And to those thoughts, we all need to say, get behind me, Satan. You're not pretty enough. You're, you'll never be accepted. And you're never going to reach your goals. You're a failure. Those sound like things you would hear from the devil. We need to think about 
whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, and so forth. We need to think about the love of God. And that if we are in Christ, we're united to Him, we're the apple of His eye. And we need to think about the faithfulness of God, that if we're in Christ, He will never allow us to fall out of His hand. We need to think about the mercy of God, that His mercies are new every morning. We need to think about the wisdom of God, that what man means for evil, God uses for good. We need to think about the justice of God, that He makes all things new, that He will right every wrong. And when we do that, it says in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. And to that we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> and before I, I pray, this earlier I talked about how the fruit of the Spirit is, is plural. Uh, in other words, you either display them all to some extent, never perfectly, but to some extent, or you're, you display one or two, but it's counterfeit, not actually being produced by the Holy Spirit. If that, if that resonated with you, if that touched you in your heart, and you felt like there's too much counterfeit in yourself, please let me know. Let's chat briefly after the service. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would enable us all to give thanks as we pray and as we talk to ourselves, thinking about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, that the peace of God might be with us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing, as I mentioned, I think a hymn that fits well with this sermon. Number 691, It Is Well With My Soul.
And now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.